and welcome to the R. Jackson Home Podcast. This week I am joined by Peter Shannon. He's the artistic director and the conductor of the Jackson Symphony. Thanks for joining us today. My pleasure, Kevin. So, uh, Peter, you have a little bit of an accent, so I don't think you're from around here. Southern accent, I always say, but Southern Ireland, that's right, Southern <laughs> Ireland. Uh, uh, I've been in the States now about 10 years, mm-hmm. and um, but I am originally from um, Cork in Southern Ireland and uh, studied music in Cork and then moved to Dublin. Uh, so my youth is spent in Ireland um, up to age 21, 22. So now I've been actually out of Ireland longer than I've ever been in it. Mm. So uh, what, uh, so, and let's talk about the- uh, or But the accent is still there. The, yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> hard to shake, yeah, yeah, I think. It is, yeah. Well, what, what uh, if someone's to ever travel to Ireland, right? what should they do? What's one thing- Go to Cork. Go to Cork. <laughs> uh, um, what should they do? Go to Ireland. Wow, there's so many different things. I always think of Ireland really as not really a, a specific place, but really a kind of a feeling. Um, I think the best thing about Ireland is the Irish mm-hmm. and their outgoing, friendly, welcoming spirit, which I actually profit from every time I go back. You know, first you know, time meeting the, the guy at the security checkpoint, you know, he said, Ah, come on in, welcome home. You know, ah, it's good to see you again. You know that kind of thing. It's very, very colloquial straight away, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's um, that's something that I'm very proud of. Yeah. But to answer your question directly, a couple of places that I really, really like are um, a place called Gugon Barra, right down, which actually really is in Cork, but it's a, a very kind of almost mythical place. It's a it's a little lake um, surrounded by um, very small mountains so uh, it's not vast as in like Norwegian landscapes but it's very very small and very very beautiful and it's a very spiritual place it's mm-hmm. the place where Saint Finbar decided to be, make his pilgrimage into Cork and uh, and build his church in Cork um, but there's a beautiful natural forest there Gugan Barra G-O-U-G-A-N-N-E I think B-A-R-R-A if anyone wants to okay. google it uh, more or less get you with Gugan Barra yeah um, Autocorrect. Yeah, yeah, it, it'll help definitely. Yeah. <laughs> There's an R too many in there, or a G. I'm not sure, but. And, yeah. and but from Ireland, there was a stop in Germany. Right. Yeah. Um, so to study orchestral conducting, which is something that I realised in Ireland that I wanted to do, um, we there was no third level conducting um, recognised conducting institution in Ireland. So the next and easiest stop would have been to go to England and study in England. But, um, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound. And if you're going to do it, may as well do it right. I decided that either Vienna, um, Austria or, or Germany. So either Vienna in Austria or somewhere in Germany. And I was very, very lucky to find a place to study orchestral conducting as a postgraduate degree in Weimar in Eastern Germany. You will know Weimar from the Weimar Republic. But before that, it was home to to Goethe and Schiller and, and Bach lived there for a while and Franz Liszt, the great German pianist and composer, lived there and founded a, um, a conservatory of music, um, which is really quite honestly a palace now. Mm. Um, and that was our stomping ground and I'm very lucky to get a, a conducting place for the only reason that the conductor, the head of conductor like Guinness, and I'm not joking you, I think that's really the reason that I got in uh, because I, I sent him an email and he said, I'm actually going to be in Ireland next week. And I said, what are the like, what's the likelihood of that? So we actually did meet. And the first thing he did, he didn't, uh, he shook my hand and said, welcome. And we'd sit down, met him in a, in a, in a hotel in Dublin. And 
the next thing I knew, there was two pints of Guinness sitting in front of us. <laughs> so I thought, this is a, this is a good start. Um, so so uh, some insider trading done before I got to do my audition. Um, yeah. Because quite honestly, I didn't really think that I had... I mean, I didn't have the um, the training that I really needed to have to get into the school. Mm-hmm. So I actually failed my first entrance exam. And they decided, they made a... a um, uh, I suppose a special case for me that I said well he's very musical and there's definitely something there but he's from Ireland and he's from relatively rural Ireland and hasn't had the background that we have in Germany so they allowed me study for uh, six months and then sit my entrance exam again well, so what kind of and I, I have no musical bones in my body. Right. That's so what everybody says, but it's not true. I'm sure you do. But uh, if you like music, then you're, you're okay, musical. Well, then I have a small one. Yeah, but, yeah, right. So what would be on that exam that would have, like, what, what would be on Well, that I exam? failed everything. So <laughs> it didn't really matter anything that was on it. I think the only thing I did well on was an ear training test. So they'll maybe play one note for you and they'll ask you. They'll play one note and they tell you this is a C sharp or this is a D and what are these four or five notes and they play different notes and you've got to sing those back or call those back um, they have a thing what they call um, sight reading so they'll give you an open score which is a Brahms symphony or a Beethoven symphony and they'll ask you to play it from sight mm-hmm. so you haven't practiced it but you have to take in mm-hmm. all these orchestral instruments and, and play that at sight um, and also there's a piano exam uh, which I also failed even though I was quite an accomplished organist um, it was just at, at a different level to be honest um, mm. and I think they liked my conducting I conducted a symphony uh, Beethoven second symphony I remember and, and I played some opera excerpts that's very big in Germany opera where you have to play from um, a vocal score so you're playing the piano part you're playing the orchestral part really on the piano and then you have to sing the voices so they'll say sing this, uh, this voice or sing that yeah. voice and so you have to change that's really to help opera singers to learn their roles and to be able to help them so that's a kind of more coaching role so um, maybe See, I scraped in at about two of the seven disciplines and then they said let's give them a chance that's a lot of disciplines yeah it is you know a conductor is is meant to be you know the per- person is there you know uh, you know in front of the orchestra telling the orchestra when to play what to play how mm-hmm. to play it so you need to you need to come with a certain mm-hmm. skill set and I think that's that's um, I wouldn't have it any other way I mean I don't think anybody should be allowed to stand in front of 50, 60, 70, 100 musicians and not know exactly what they want and how to get it. Mm-hmm. Because, um, you know, musicians themselves invest an awful lot of money and time in their education. Yes. Most of us have been, you know, um, getting music lessons since we were four or five. So by the time you get to being an accomplished orchestral mm-hmm. musician and you buy a violin for 40, 50, 60, 100,000 dollars, I mean, these people have everybody has an instrument worth more than their car and some of them have an instrument that's worth as, as much as their house or more than their house mm. so um when they're up there playing they take it very seriously and and and, and that's our job as conductors to respect that too mm. now so let's go back then when did you you said that while you're in ireland you realized that you wanted to do this right are you from a musical background then I would say yes for you probably not I mean you would say I'm not from a music but my mother was a very good singer my father has got a lovely voice and and all of the family like music but no I'm not from a musical background it's not like they had any classical training but you know I'm one of five kids and I think to be honest my parents just threw us into everything to get us out of the house you know (laughs) so you know I did a lot of uh, gymnastics I did a lot of sports martial arts all that kind of stuff growing up 
and music too. Um, and I just, I think all kids kind of gravitate towards the things they're good at. Uh, it certainly wasn't pushed on me. And I, I remember holding my parents accountable then when I was like, 17 or 18 and decided you know why didn't you get me to practice harder back then and my mother god bless her soul who was like gosh if you only knew how much we were getting you to practice the piano and you didn't want to do it so uh so um yeah but uh i think that's that's that was um that's just uh, i fell into music i suppose really and and it was through piano things that I guess piano was your main instrument? Yeah, actually singing was my main instrument. Okay. I sang in the Irish National Chamber Choir, which is our professional choir of 16 singers, which is attached to the National Broadcasting, which is RTE, Radio Telefiche Éireann, which is the Irish... Uh, BBC. Yeah, the Irish BBC, yeah, RTE. Um, and, um, and I studied singing all the way up since I was four or five, all the way up to really to I suppose 22 23 um, and then that's when I went into conducting but to study music in Ireland it the degree is a BMOS a Bachelor of Music mm-hmm. uh, a degree and it's very academic based but you have to have an instrument so my instrument actually I had a double major of of uh, voice and organ actually mm-hmm. playing the organ so yeah and what was it that you're like conductor what made me go want to say, okay, I want to go. Yeah, it's really weird. I don't really know. I think, you know, there's no one moment where you decide, you know, it's not like choosing an instrument. Um, it's, it's something, I suppose, that you, you evolve into. Uh, for me, um, I suppose the one thing I point to was a fantastic choral conductor that, that I sang under as a young boy. Um, and I found him very humorous and, and it was always fun with him. Um, he made us better. He made us sing, sing very well. Andrew Padmore is that gentleman's name. He lives in England now and still very, very successful. But he was, a, he was really a motivator for me. And I thought, gosh, I'd love to, I'd love to be like him, mm. you know. Um, and not because I want to stand up and tell people what to do or I want to conduct, but it was just, he just had, he just had a way with people. A great, great communicator still is. Mm. And, and uh, I, I, latched onto that I suppose responded well to that and he worked very hard and I liked I liked I still work very hard I've got a fairly um I suppose it's an Irish thing too we, we, you know that's a lot of the reason the Irish get on so well in America you know they say the Irish built Boston and things like they are mm-hmm. the Irish built London the underground and the building sites there's still a lot of Irish there um and i think the irish have a good good work ethic mm-hmm. and um i think that's something that stood to me and stands to me today yeah so tell us you know i don't know that anybody listening to this was ever went to school in germany right and so uh did did you have to learn german yeah i suppose i did i mean it, thinking back on it wow it's you know a baptism of fire um you know, my father brought me, I had a one-way ticket to Germany and um, I had a red rucksack, um, which was full of all my clothes. And I had a, um, there was no pulley trolleys or, you know, four-wheel trolleys back in those days, but I had a suitcase and um, that was all the music that I could put into that suitcase. So I had two bags mm-hmm. and I did not know where I was staying that night. I mean, literally, well, I did know it was Merketalstraße. So I knew the address where I was staying in Weimar and I knew the professor of conducting was going to get me at the train station when I got in the next day because I would fly to Germany and then take a train for seven hours from Frankfurt to, um, to Weimar 
And when I got out, um, I, I literally didn't know where I was staying. So he brought me to a room. And this is just after the wall came down. This is 91, 92. Okay. So the wall came down 89. So it was still very, very much in transition. This is the former Eastern DDR, so, okay. German, yeah. East German block. Um, so I was living in what is called, it was called back then, a Plattenbau. And Platten, really, Platten means just really a, a sheet, a sheet building. Um, so this is a very, very cheap, flimsy construction. And that was where the musicians, the students were housed. And so I was uh, ushered up to the fourth or fifth floor of this horrible looking um, <laughs> place and, uh, and um, introduced to my three roommates who were all living in the same room as me and sleeping. We all just had four beds there. And uh, that was a fairly, fairly incredible um, transition. I mean, there really was no transition. It was like from, from going home and having your own room or from being a student and living out and, and having an apartment with a, mm-hmm. with a buddy of mine. We had our own separate rooms and stuff like that. It's fairly standard. Yeah. Going to, to fairly, to, yeah, to going back to, uh, yeah, to sharing with four guys. That was, yeah, fairly intense. Yeah. yeah. And did any of them speak English? One of them spoke, spoke English uh, very well. Uh, he was from Western Germany. The rest of them only spoke either Russian or, or German. Um, and I bonded immediately with him. He's mm-hmm. still a very, very good friend of mine, and he works with me sometimes here. His name is Volker Rabe, uh, and we just hit it off. And he really took me under his wing. Um, but it was something I think, you know, I, I've all the way up, um, I've been fairly much a self starter. I went and paid my own college fees by working in building sites in London in the summers. So uh, I wasn't afraid of it, you know, it wasn't mm-hmm. that I was a, a shrinking violet. Was able to get in there and say, okay, this is the way it's going to be now for the next two years. So yeah, uh, it was something. I, I and I was there for a mission. You know, I wanted to become a good orchestral conductor, so yeah. I didn't really care about the trappings. That's a, uh, I get that, and yeah. that focus is what often divides people who accomplish things from people who don't. Yeah, I, I think I think that's probably true. You know, it's like how much are you willing to? I mean, the first night. I mean, it was like wow. I mean, really living in a room with three other guys. Uh, you know. And, uh, and the answer is yeah you are it's like okay but this is this is eastern germany now and um you know i, I i'm i'm fairly like i think you know i was able to adjust fairly well i mean i went from studying orchestral or rather from studying uh, you know uh, music in 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 ireland and dublin to going over to london to work in a building site with and they're all irish in the building site well when i told them that I was studying music. I mean, they almost wanted to kill me. I mean, you know, they were cursing and swearing and, you know, we don't do that here and sing us a song and just, you know, having fun with me really. And yeah. uh, I was the, the, the butt of all their jokes. But uh, after a couple of months working with them, uh, yeah. we, got on, we got on fairly well. Yeah. Uh, as long as you can work and, and, uh, and uh, use a shovel, you were okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the jump from, you graduate, from this this academy right how what what is the first job how do you get here yeah so when i left the france list music Hochschule in, in weimar then <coughs> i studied another postgraduate degree I, I realized i needed to 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 hone my craft more i had a really really great technical um uh, sound foundation in orchestral conducting but i was missing something and i i, I felt that you know there was something missing and I, and I didn't really know what but I felt it was more a kind of a either maturity or or just I, my academic side realized there was something that that I needed more and and I found that in a, in in Karlsruhe in in southern Germany the other side of Germany in west Germany under a conductor called Wolf Dieter Hauschild 
who really um, was a fantastic musician and very good at rehearsing with orchestra. So we would say in the business an orchestral educator. So um, treating the orchestra like uh, as an instrument and trying to better or treating the orchestra as as a whole really as an as a unity and and making the orchestra listen to each other um, and making them aware of what other people are playing it wasn't just technical side of what I do with my hands and how to get what I want but it was more how do I how do I get everybody to play together mm-hmm. and share a common goal and a common vision and and I learned that in Karlsruhe and when I was in Karlsruhe I applied to be the assistant conductor of the Heidelberg University Symphony Orchestra Heidelberg everybody knows in the states it's um, probably the most visited city from from um, uh, one of the most visited cities it's uh, very idyllic it has the oldest third level uh, university or third level institution in the country, Heidelberg University. When you say third level, do you mean so, offers PhDs or? I I suppose third level. So for me, it's you know it's uh, school, uh, college. I suppose what you guys call university. Sc- sc- or... So univer- for third level for me is university. Oh okay, yeah. okay. sorry. So so third level education. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that that would be university, I suppose. Yeah, because yeah, you guys call that school too, right? Yeah, you get, yeah. Going to school would be college. Yeah, so it's mm-hmm. the the oldest college in Germany. Uh, I'm one of the oldest in the world and uh, so obviously that was fantastic to get mm-hmm. that job mm-hmm. and um, at the ripe old age of 26 I became the the, the uh, music director of that organization then I became the boss of that orchestra mm-hmm. so I became the, the music director of the Collegium Musicum it's called in Heidelberg in Germany um, and that was there I stayed for about 10 years as the director of that and um, that was really the education that I needed to, to follow through on all the stuff mm-hmm. that I'd learned. You know, I was able to put that all into practice and that put me in a good position to then ultimately come to the States, which I decided I want to do just before my 40th birthday. Um, I'd been living in Germany now for about 15, 16 years and had a fantastic job at the University of Heidelberg. I, you know, could see that I was going to be there till whenever. Mm-hmm. Um, fantastic orchestra and just realized that it's time for a time for a change yeah and put my sights in the states yeah what any particular reason why why? yeah i mean many people said no not to you know (laughs) stay in germany find a different orchestra in germany if you want to move up or if you want to change and it was actually my dad um who said you know you should you should really go to america you'd really enjoy america and the americans will enjoy you and um, I'd been here like many times just to, you know as a, as a visitor but mm-hmm. never I'd never lived in the States and I'd lived in Germany and you know I have friends in France and friends all over Europe so mm-hmm. um, you know I kind of knew what was out there um, but to go to another continent I suppose America was the, the one that I thought you know I, I could at least try and apply for jobs and, yeah. I, and I was very lucky that I got um, a job in Savannah Georgia there was a, so this interesting story there the former symphony orchestra the the savannah symphony orchestra went bust and went bankrupt um and they were looking for somebody to come in and rebuild uh, a orchestra around what was then an amateur chorus so a choir Mm. so that's all that was left over if you will after the former symphony went went under Mm -hmm. was this amateur chorus and they were looking for a, a conductor who it is a would-be uh, orchestral conductor but somebody who's willing to work with the choir for the first year or two or whatever how long it took to get the new symphony off the ground 
um, and I, I got the job. Um, you had the choir background. I had the choral background, yeah. That worked obviously in my favour and then they just, they just didn't really know. I mean, you know, they just had to take a chance. And they took that chance on on me, and it really paid off for all of us. We have a we have a fantastic organisation, Savannah. We're just going into our tenth season as a fully professional symphony orchestra with a budget and, of about one point seven million. Wow! And so people that don't know, you're saying we because you're still the director there, right? I am. I'm the conductor of two orchestras: the Jackson mm-hmm. Symphony and the Savannah Philharmonic in Savannah, Georgia. And so, so that's like to me that sounds a little weird, right? How does how does that work with two? Yeah, um, I suppose <laughs> with difficulty sometimes. I mean, you know, you're responsible for the artistic vision and and the operation of two professional symphony orchestras. Mm-hmm. So um, it's a full time job. Uh, one of those jobs is a full time job, but it's not unusual actually for conductors to have two three or even four orchestras. Wow. Uh, I, I don't know how those guys do that, but a lot of orchestras, conductors will live out of a suitcase. That's something I, I've tried to stay away from. Um, but many of my colleagues do a lot of guest conducting as well. Mm-hmm. So you have your home orchestra that you work with, but you will do guest concerts somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've done that in the past, but it's tiring and um, it's, it's, it's rewarding. It's great to go mm-hmm. somewhere and you know you can be be fun and, and, and you don't have to take it all too seriously because your name isn't really behind the organization, right? So yeah. you, can, you don't have to be so tough in the orchestras. Maybe I am with the Jackson Symphony, you know, um, because I want us to grow all the time and that's something that I'm responsible for. But ultimately, if you don't have the, really the artistic responsibility, you can go and have fun with another orchestra and, and you know, if they, they don't get everything right, you don't have to push. Yeah. Um, whereas I feel an onus here on me to, to really push the orchestra to their... Mm-hmm. To, to the the nth degree um, and we have a wonderful wonderful symphony orchestra here in Jackson I mean there's such uh, like me they share we share the same work ethic uh, and that's something that was very important to me when I auditioned and tried out here with the Jackson Symphony so like I really want to show them who I am and how I work from the get-go mm-hmm. and um, I, I didn't want to show them um, or, or, or hold back so I, I kind of fairly much took the took the um, reins fairly hard from the beginning, um, simply because, you know, so if this works out, they'll choose me because I'm a hard worker and, and they want this um, and they want to work hard because there's no point pretending to be somebody else in the interview and then landing an orchestra and, and you know, fighting what you actually are. So yeah. um, I was really, the first rehearsals with the orchestra, you know, you try and come in somewhat neutral, but really... Um, trying out with the orchestra after I suppose the second or third rehearsal I, I really thought this I, I, I would like to have this orchestra there mm-hmm. they work hard and they really want it yeah um, that's that's reciprocal motivation I think that's great well let's take a quick break yeah and let's come back and talk about the Jackson Symphony right and so from our front porch to yours this is our Jackson moment. And we're back with R. Jackson Home this week. I'm joined by Peter Shannon. He's the artistic director and the conductor of the Jackson Symphony. Uh, Peter, so what, and this is my ignorance, what does a conductor and artistic director do? As little as possible. <laughs> uh, um, 
I suppose I mean, um, that you know, there's there's so much has been written about the job of the artistic director, or rather of the conductor. You know, what what I mean, clearly we conduct the music. We stand up there and we wave our hands mm-hmm. around. Mm-hmm. But, but that's like, and you know, that's one night. Right, right, yeah, but but that is that is the essence of what we do. I mean, the artistic director plans the season. He chooses the repertoire. He chooses the repertoire based on what the musicians want to play, but more particularly on what will sell. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, you know, what do people want to hear? There's variety. So we have pops concerts. We have classical concerts. There's variety within the pops concerts. There's variety within the classical concerts. So the devil is in the details, really. It's very, very quite when you get down into it it's real sausage making mm-hmm. and and what starts off you know as all a good idea on a whiteboard or a blackboard then suddenly morphs into something else and you know by the time you've you've thrown it out 20 times and come back to it again it's a completely different beast and that you've got to do that every season um, but specifically the conductor is the person who stands up and shapes the sound of the orchestra so um, you know there's there's a little bit of alchem- alchemy in the whole thing um, mm-hmm. I think first and foremost you have to be a good musician but the conductor really um, is the person who represents the composer I think on the podium so when a Beethoven symphony is played or just now just a couple of days ago um, we 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 our la- a couple of months ago our last our last concert for the Jackson Symphony the end of last season was Tchaikovsky's sixth, sixth symphony so when we play a piece like that or the piece that we're going to play now Ravel Scheherazade in our first opening concert of this season, um, you have to know what the composer wanted. Um, so a lot of that is done by reading about the piece, reading about mm-hmm. the composer, and understanding the genres, the different styles um, about the composers themselves. Beethoven was kind of a contemporary of Brahms, but Brahms comes slightly after Beethoven, but they are to- two totally different musicians. Mm-hmm. Um, Haydn and Mozart are contemporaries, but they are two totally different styles mm-hmm. um, of person. And so it's more than just playing you know, the notes. The notes, the yeah. And I, I think any orchestra can kind of fairly much get through a symphony without a conductor. That's what a lot of people don't realize. It's not that they need somebody to hold time or beat time. Uh-huh. Really, you're phrasing the music. So your hands are used to give a gesture. And it's, it's a very technical thing that you do, but it's also um, very subjective. So I know what movement I need to make to get a specific sound from the orchestra. This season we're playing Beethoven 5. So if I want da 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 dum, or if I want da 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 dum, or if I want da 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 dum. So there's three notes followed by another note. Uh, mm-hmm. um, and to know how that's to be phrased, or how loud, or uh, what the attack is. Um, all these different things that make up music and phrasing, which is a huge part of my music making, um, those gesticulations, those those directions that you give with your hand, um, bring forward or elicit a certain sound or a certain um, articulation or length of, of playing from from the players, mm-hmm. um, string players and brass and winds and percussion, and so our job is to know. What, how a symphony orchestra will respond and what you need to do to get the sound. Gotcha. So a lot of what you hear is a mirror image of what you do as a conductor. So I think of us as being in three places at one time that I'm thinking about what I want to hear. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, then I am making the sound or I'm making the gesture that I want to get that sound, what sound I want to get. So in some ways we're ahead of the game. And then when I hear that sound, I'm listening to that sound. So you're in the present. 
And you're a little bit also in the future because when you're listening to that sound, then you're trying to analyze, um, you know, almost like an oscilloscope, what went wrong or what's wrong here. Um, where is the mistake? Is there a mistake? Or wow, that sounds fantastic. We'll keep going. Um, so your brain is kind of trying to process the information that you're getting from the orchestra and then trying to figure out also when there is something that goes wrong, who was it? Why? What am I going to say? Um, so that's that's the the um, the work really in conducting is done in the rehearsals, not mm-hmm. so much in concert. Mm-hmm. Although in concert, you, I come in with a different kind of mindset. The work is done, yeah. and now my job is to show the musicians and show also the audience, quite honestly, um, to give them a sense of of the music, not just to be technical but to be musical. Yeah. And I think our responsibility is also if it's a very visceral piece then our response as conductors needs to be very emphatic and energetic. If it's rather structured and academic, then I, that, that approach doesn't work well. Mm-hmm. Um, so all to represent the score, I suppose, is the job of the conductor. That's probably too win- long-winded an no. answer, but, no. but uh, maybe somebody can get something from that. Well, and what is it that, what do you love about what you do? Um, that many things. Um, I, I love the response of the musicians when, when we get something right. I mean, it's a, it's mm-hmm. a, it's a kind of a leadership thing. Um, but I, I love the music, but I don't make any music. It's a little bit paradoxical. Mm-hmm. I'm in charge of everything, um, but and you're in a dictatorial position just simply because you're the only one there. You know, I mean, it's it's not something that you revel in or relish but it, it it is also a responsibility i see it as a really really strong responsibility to get it right mm-hmm. um i think music is for me my spirituality and mm-hmm. and my um i take that very seriously that role so um but the joy in it is is is, is getting it right um but a very very wonderful cellist uh, said to me once i said you know david are you um are you looking forward to the concert he's playing? He's a brilliant um, cellist, David G, who used to play with the Savannah Philharmonic. And I had no um, qualms about his concert. He was giving a solo uh, concert, uh, cello, actually, actually not quite solo, a duo with a, with, a, with a pianist, but he was playing some pieces solo. And I said, David, you know, um, are you nervous at all? And he said, uh, I, I am, but I, I don't let that, you know, um, change my, my playing. And I said, well, it's not really something you can decide on. Either you get nervous <laughs> or you don't. Yeah. But he said, you know, Peter, it, music is perfect. And we're never going to be perfect. It's only how far short will I fall today. Mm. So mm. if you kind of never know, you're going to be 100%. But you're always going to. You'd give yourself. And that's not a carte blanche to not get it right. Yeah. But it, it's it's basically saying what I am doing or the, the, me being the custodian of this art or this this piece at this time is my responsibility now mm-hmm. and just go for it. Um, I love the, the Nike adage, you know, of uh, just do it, mm-hmm. just do it uh, and get it done. Um, and so that's what I feel also as a conductor that that um, um, that, that we have a responsibility towards the music. And, and I, I relish that to be the custodian of that for a short period of time. Um, and I love the 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 responsibility of bringing that to the musicians and, and through the musicians then to the audience. Um, so I, I love when when we can together have an experience through a wonderful piece of music. Mm. So tell us a little bit about the Jackson Symphony. Right, well, I mean, they're first and foremost, uh, if you live in Jackson, Tennessee, you've got an incredible musical asset right at your doorstep. I mean, for a city of this size to have an orchestra of this 
statute is really quite incredible. Um, we have a wonderful board of directors and a great, great staff. Um, and the musicians just do everything uh, possible in the rehearsals to make sure that the concerts are, are as good as they are. Um, so Scheherazade is the first concert of our, of our next season, mm-hmm. of this season coming up. And it's an incredibly strong piece of music. And I'm looking forward to, to hearing what they can do. It's a, it's a, it's a working orchestra, so, so um, they, they work very hard. The musicians in the orchestra are all professional musicians, so it's not something they do you know, as an aside. Um, they're all professional music, musicians. They might not all play in the Jackson Symphony all the time because we only have one concert a month, but they'll play in different orchestras around. They'll play in Memphis, they'll play mm-hmm. in Nashville, they'll play in Atlanta. Some of them play also in Savannah with me. Um, some travel very, very far distances to play here. We have a viola player and a clarinet player that come from Texas for the concerts. Wow. We have people that come from South Jackson to play the concerts. Yeah. Um, so like, I suppose, a professional football team in, in, a, in a city, mm-hmm. um, you know, my job is to, is to make sure that we have the best team on the field um, at any one time um, <clears throat> and to motivate them to do their best. So the Jackson Symphony Orchestra is really... Um, a group of musicians that that give their all um, each and every time they get on stage and it's uh, hugely motivational to me to see how far they've come in the last couple of years under my tenure and how many people make up the I know that might vary but it does you're right it does vary but a standard symphony orchestra you know you have um, first second violins violas cellos and double basses so you a standard symphony orchestra might have anywhere from 10 to 16 first violins and then it goes down by two. So the Jackson Symphony Orchestra will typically play with 12 or 10 first violins and the same amount of second violins, then maybe six or eight violas, eight cellos, six double basses, <clears throat> five or six double basses, again, depending on the piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have flutes, oboes, clarinets, bassoons, French horns, trumpets, trombones, uh, tuba and percussion. So anywhere up to... 80, 90 musicians, and as little sometimes as maybe 30, 40. Gotcha. Well, why don't we talk a little bit about this year's uh, calendar? Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, our first opening concert is called Arabian Nights, and that's at um, First Baptist Church, which is one of our homes, and it's a beautiful space yes, to make music. I go there. It's your yeah, church. Yeah. So, okay, <laughs> that's good. I didn't know that. But it is a beautiful space, and it's acoustically, it's, it's, it's mm-hmm. fantastic. So um, the sound there is wonderful and the orchestra sound better there than anywhere else. We also play at the Civic Center, mm-hmm. but that's typically for our Pops concerts, which is a table seating um, and that's amplified, but the, the kind of pure experiences with the classical concerts. And that's our first concert is that's the uh, on September 8 and that's coming up now soon. And that is also with a... Um, a concerto for viola and clarinet. In fact, they're those two people that I mentioned, mm-hmm. um, Laurel and David Warren. And so they're married, but he plays clarinet and she plays viola. And there's a wonderful piece by Bruch um, called Concerto, a double concerto for viola and clarinet. And they're playing that. We've got a very um, energetic overture, the Bartlett Bride Overture by Smetna. And then after the break, we have Scheherazade by Rimsky-Korsakov, which is just a fantastic a fantastic um, piece of music. Everybody knows Starlight Symphony. That's our next yeah. concert. That's the, I think, one of the largest outside, if not the largest outside event that, that Jackson has. Yeah, social uh, event of the year. Social event of the year, yeah. And it's it's grown. We have a wonderful stage now and great lighting and sound. And that's uh, on the um, grounds of First Presbyterian Church. I think most people, that doesn't need an introduction. And then we have uh, a concert with Beethoven Fifth Symphony. That's the mm-hmm. that everybody knows and loves. And a chance for um, people in Jackson to get to hear that live. 
And our first flute player, Charles um, Lewis, is going to be playing a Mozart flute concerto. Uh, and we're beginning the concert, <laughs> absolutely enough, with the Magic Flute Overture, so by Mozart. So that's a, um, a very dazzling uh, first half and uh, incredibly, um, I suppose, energetic and heavy second half with Beethoven 5. Um, we have our Holiday Pops concert, which is, is always at the Civic Centre. And that's standard Christmas fair with yeah. the Jackson Choral Society. Um, I want to ask an ignorant question. Right. And showing my ignorancy. What does pops mean? Yeah, pops, I suppose, popular music. Okay. Um, so pop, pop music is popular music. But for us, the pops concerts are, are where we play um, popular, kind of almost really crossover stuff. Holiday pops, that's, you know, so you'll hear music maybe from... Um, Harry Potter from the movie Harry Potter or you'll hear you'll hear music from Charlie Brown you know Linus and Lucy or mm -hmm. you'll hear things like that or or music from Polar Express for the Christmas concert and so, so that's me, the lighter side of things so with your classical training I just heard this impassioned statement about like representing the artist and the and the, the composer and right and yeah, then yeah, yeah. you're playing Charlie Brown. How do those yeah. two realities work in your brain, or is it not an issue for you? Um, I, I, I'm a staunch believer that there's good and bad music in any realm, unless it's country and western music. That's all bad. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, uh, sorry. Letters, I, uh, you can send letters to the Jackson Symphony. Yeah, uh, exactly. I, so I, I know I'm going to lose a lot of friends. That's a little bit tongue in cheek. Um, I know there's a lot of country and western fans out there. But um, yeah, that's something that goes to the next radio station when I'm listening. But um, so, but otherwise, there are just good and bad music, and the same in classical music, and the same in popular music, and in rock and metal, and whatever you're listening to, jazz. And um, I'm a believer in good music. Um, you know, I believe that David Bowie was a genius. I believe that Michael Jackson was a genius. I think maybe Paul McCartney is a genius. Um, so Prince was a genius. So this is all fantastic music. It's not like it has to be Beethoven 5. I think they were maybe more of a genius than maybe Prince was. Um, and their music is around for 200 years now. Um, mm -hmm. Certainly Mozart. But, um, you know, I recognize the, the genius in any good composer. And um, so I don't really have a chance. I don't really have a problem with the crossover stuff. Mm -hmm. I enjoy it too. Okay. And I think that's the right attitude to take and not be a kind of musical snob. Yeah. It, doesn't, it doesn't serve the music well. Um, and and, it, and it, it, you're not doing your job, I think, as artistic director by just pushing one, mm. one line. Um, it's, it's, the Jackson Symphony is Jackson's symphony as well. Mm. Um, and so it's important for me as the artistic director to kind of have a finger on the pulse and, and get a sense. And also, I mean, also understand me to understand that, like you say, look, you know, I, I don't know. This is you, Kevin, saying to me, I, I'm ignorant. I don't know these things. Mm -hmm. But I guarantee you, if you come to Scheherazade, you'll come again to the Jackson Symphony. Mm -hmm. And that's my job is to get people like you who say, oh, I don't have a musical bone in my body. Um, uh, you know, I, 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 I don't know anything about music. And yet here we are having a conversation about classical music. And you're mm -hmm. going, wow, that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. So I think people, if they listen to it and, and have a chance to experience live classical music at this level, live in a place like First Baptist Church, I think they're going to be hooked because it is an incredible experience mm -hmm. to see that amount of musicians um, metaphorically and literally being on the same page and, and working together and moving together to create something that's then gone 
Um, it's a fairly, it's a, it's a strong thing in the days of, you know, digital media and iPads and, and you know, instant gratification. This is, this is really something very, very special. Mm. Um, and I think it's going to become more and more special and more and more important for us um, that we detach from our phones and my, you know, our notifications and, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and have a chance to be mindful, to be in the moment. And nothing will 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 whisk you away like live classical music when you when you're when you come face to face with it. Mm. It's it's an incredibly strong um, statement, um, and I th- I I do also believe that everybody is musical, mm. um, and I think if you come from that angle, it's then then you have a mission. You know, so my mission is to make sure you come to the next concert mm-hmm. and you will enjoy the concert. You know, I know you will. Um, and, and that's what I'm trying to do in Jackson's just to try and make people aware of what, what's there. Come and look at it. Uh, come and look at it and experience it. Everybody loves Starlight. Everybody that comes to Starlight says, I love Starlight, I love Starlight, Starlight. And they don't come to the concert the month after, which is a hundred times better than Starlight will ever be. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, getting back to it, so that that's the Pops concert. Mm-hmm. The next concert is actually in February. It's just around Valentine's Day. Um, it's actually on the 16th, so two days after Valentine's Day. And these are two really good buddies of mine. They have um, an orchestra, or I suppose really it's like a big band, and they're called the Fabulous Equinox Orchestra. There's a guy called Jeremy Davis um, and Clay Johnson. He's a singer. He's kind of Rat Pack singer, like on the lines of kind of uh, Frank Sinatra. And mm-hmm. they put on an incredible show, and that's live with the full jackson symphony orchestra and this big band and so look them up fabulous equinox orchestra and check them out they're amazing um then we have a um a concert called best of your memories which has features two wonderful singers and really that's kind of a crossover everything from opera truth and musicals and broadway um so that's a you know one 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 stop hits all kind of <laughs> show uh, with singers and and also with our friends at university of tennessee martin the singers were UT Martin, the assistant or associate conductor of the Jackson Symphony, is a guy called Mark Simmons, Dr. Mark Simmons, and he runs the choral program at UT oh. Martin. And they are absolutely fantastic, and they're going to be singing as well with the Jackson Symphony Orchestra. And then, <coughs> excuse me, our last season uh, concert, end of season, is May 11, and that's with an incredible gifted, uh, incredibly gifted violinist, Serena Huang, playing Tchaikovsky's violin concerto with Brahms' Fourth Symphony, and that's going to be one of the most again one of the most with the first season concert with Scheherazade now coming up probably the most powerful music statement that the Jackson Symphony make mm. um, so that's the season we also have a chamber music series that, that typically follows the day after a concert on Sunday but it's not always following a concert but it's typical that it follows a concert and that's where we yeah well, exactly and we shine the spotlight on the musicians for that and that's that's a fun one maybe four or five musicians of the Jackson Symphony uh, play a chamber music concert so and that's just a smaller concert it is it's about an hour music. long yeah exactly they are the custodians of that so we'll ask um like my double bass player marco alexander i said marcus can you put a together a program <clears throat> so he's putting together a program of african-american music african-american composers and amusing members of the jackson symphony orchestra and that's they're the kind of things that i like to you know divide and conquer mm-hmm. and let the musicians choose the things that motivate them yeah well let's take a quick break and we'll come back and talk about some of the other components sure. of the symphony so for, between the tennessee and mississippi rivers this is R. jackson
we're back. I am joined by Peter Shannon. He is the artistic director and conductor of the Jackson Symphony. So, Peter, we were just talking about uh, the lineup for this season and, and the Starlight Symphony. You know, most of the time you have to buy a ticket to go. Right. So what's the thought process behind doing the Starlight Symphony for free? So I suppose that is, um, I mean, because it's outside first and foremost, that's our only outside concert mm -hmm. of the year. And really it's tradition at this stage. Um, we don't need uh, a kind of a modus operandi or raison d'etre to do it. It's, it's really, um, it's, it's been on the cards for so long mm -hmm. that, that we'd be, uh, I think if we stopped it, there'd be an outcry. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a, it's, it is actually the most expensive concert of the season mm. for the Jackson Symphony Orchestra, but it's something we all enjoy. Uh, the musicians enjoy it, um, you know, the board enjoy it, all the musicians, um, mm -hmm. you know, um, have their friends there as well. And of course, for Jackson, it's, it's the venue, um, or rather the concert of mm -hmm. the season, it's a chance to get together. And everybody knows Starlight Symphony, so yeah. it's really carrying on a tradition. What do we get from it? We get so much from it, uh, just the chance to... To give back and also to, to have a chance for people to come together and, and mm -hmm. listen to the Jackson Symphony Orchestra, listen to live music. Um, we don't necessarily have any education element to that, but we do play pieces from our upcoming classical concerts. So there's mm -hmm. a chance also for us to say, hey guys, this is, this is a great format and this is wonderful music, but come and hear us in the church or come and hear us at the Civic Centre. <clears throat> and that's where you'll hear the real Jackson Symphony Orchestra up close and personal. Gotcha. Now that's and and some of that's an outreach, you know, like let people know that you're there. And, right. And what are some other things that you all do that's maybe not just having a concert? Yeah, when we're we're not on stage, it's quite clear what we do. We play mm -hmm. orchestral music, but when we're off stage, we also have a quite quite a I think a strong presence in the community, and that is our job is to be community leaders and to give <clears throat> Jackson, um, you know, the provide Jackson the narrative why we need to be supported and why we need to continue doing the concerts that we do do. So most orchestral um, organizations in the States have a very um, evolved um, education outreach and that's similar also in Jackson with the Jackson Symphony Orchestra. We have an educational outreach program where we go into the schools <clears throat> where we bring um, kids from the schools in the county and city to the Jackson Symphony Orchestra rehearsals where they get to hear a little bit about the music they're, they're about to hear and then they see me rehearse. I talk to the kids from the schools um, and engage them and um, that's important for us. We also have a youth orchestra here in Jackson and that's mm -hmm. very unusual for an orchestra of this size, <clears throat> excuse me, to have a symphony orchestra, a youth symphony orchestra. Mm -hmm. That's something we're very proud of. Um, apart from that, we have an integrative medicine program. I know people aren't going to know what integrative medicine means, but um, it's something that I became very interested in a long time ago. My father is a doctor and both my grandparents were doctors. My sister is a doctor and my brother's uh, palliative care specialist, so end of life care specialist. And um, <clears throat> I've always felt, felt some kind of a calling to involve music and medicine. And um, I found it in the shape of integrative medicine, which means, I suppose, seeing a patient as a holistic whole as a mind body and spirit so that when somebody becomes sick um, it's not just their body that becomes sick but also they're stressed by their illness and their family members are stressed by their illness so what we have developed is um, a program where musicians of the jackson symphony orchestra will go into the kirkland cancer center and play for musicians or pay for patients receiving chemotherapy um, that's been a very powerful 
uh, outreach tool at the Jackson Symphony Orchestra and something we really cherish. Um, <clears throat> it's also great for the caregivers, the nurses, the doctors there that they get a chance to hear live mm -hmm. orchestral music. And you can just imagine being the bright spot in someone's yeah, trauma that these people are going through in their lives, um, you know, not knowing if the chemotherapy is going to work and um, and the stress that the family members are under to mm -hmm. be supportive. And of course, chances are when you're receiving chemotherapy, you're not going in by yourself. You know, you're going in with a family member. And um, we all know what it's like to be uh, one of those people on the periphery where you can do nothing mm -hmm. except be supportive. Uh, and that's a role that I cherish as, as the artistic director mm. and conductor of the Jackson Symphony Orchestra to actively seek out those that environment mm. where we can we can move in there and support or just I suppose the ingredient is compassion. You mm. know, it's just showing somebody that you care. Um, and so we've developed a quasi a menu, if you will. So if you're receiving chemotherapy, you'll get this menu of songs. Some of them are liturgical. Um, some of them are poppy, um, you know, themed to Downton Abbey. Um, <laughs> some of them are the entertainer, you know, ragtime. Um, some of them are, uh, you know, uh, Tennessee Waltz. Um, and so there's a list of pieces and we give those to the patients. And we come back a couple of minutes later and say, what would you like to hear? Um, so they so get to just go into the room. <clears throat> Yeah, in the Kirkland Cancer Centre, it's they are bays, so there are places where you can choose to receive chemotherapy, um, you know, kind of in semi-isolation, or you can receive a chemotherapy in, in an open space. Um, and uh, so depending what people want, um, you know, some people just like to have a chat with the other people and share stories of what they're going through. And just to put the musicians in there is a wonderful thing. Um, mm. It's something the musicians really respond well to. Um, something we're proud of. So, and I'm going to kind of tee you up here and let you have at it. Why is the symphony important to Jackson? Yeah, I think, you know, the symphony is, is very obviously a cultural asset to any city. Mm -hmm. um, we are also an economic driver. Um, we bring in people that maybe if you're a, an engineer or you're a doctor, if you're trying to relocate to, to Jackson, you're looking for a reason. Um, the Jackson Symphony is one of those reasons. You know, if you, want, if you have a child that wants to play a musical instrument, can my child get lessons here? Um, yes, he can. There's a symphony orchestra. Oh, that sounds interesting. Um, you know, um, if, you, if you need musicians for a wedding, for a, for a funeral, the Jackson Symphony is here for you. Um, and apart from that, the outreach that we do, the education outreach, you know, that, that having the orchestra there and knowing that your child is going to come, uh, you know, face to face with a professional symphony orchestra at some stage in the school calendar year is, is, is fantastic for Jackson school mm -hmm. kids. Um, <clears throat> I didn't have that growing up as a kid in Ireland. Mm -hmm. I didn't hear a, a symphony orchestra. And I know many people listening here probably didn't either. I didn't. Yeah. Right. So now kids do get a chance to hear that. And that's something that we're very committed to. Um, almost every concert of the Jackson Symphony Orchestra has some kind of educational outreach. Mm -hmm. um, and we also have another thing that I didn't mention earlier, Kevin, is that we have, as part of our integrative medicine program, we have a, a, a little kids opera, which is the Magic Flute by Mozart, which is you know a two and a half hour opera, which I've kind of scaled back to about 17 minutes of music and about <laughs> six minutes of slapstick humor. And that's done by Mark Simmons and the UT Martin Chorus. And mm -hmm. so that's really Mozart's opera 
um, in full costume and with piano and, and singers. And that's something that we've started doing at the, a couple of years ago, the Therapy and Learning Center. Mm-hmm. And we started doing it now more um, also in assisted living, so um, homes for the elderly. And that is just incredible to see these children react, uh, some children perfectly healthy, some with severe mental and, um, and uh, physical disabilities react to live music. Mm. Um, and the funniest experience that we've had has been recently at the library um, where we were told by a mother that, you know, thank God, uh, you know, we're, it's 10 o'clock and we're going to hear the magic flute. She, they came, she came up to me and said, my four-year-old has been almost literally standing at the door since 5.30 this morning because she can't <laughs> wait to see the snake, which is part of the costume for the mm-hmm. magic flute. She knew about this. And then when we did it, literally uh, an hour later, we do it twice when we do it because they come in from UT Martin and it's, it's worth their while to come up. You know, they should only do it once, so we do it yeah. twice. And we went out to an assisted living facility and there are so many of those uh, elderly people who are somebody's son and who are somebody's daughter and somebody's mom and somebody's dad and somebody's sister and somebody's brother and they are sitting there and they are really catatonic and there's one lady who is just draped over in a wheelchair and they're fantastic at the facility but it's just you can't look after everybody all of the time and staff are wonderful at all these facilities that I've been to here Mm -hmm. Uh, really they're they're angels without wings Um, but to see these people you know, uh, alone and and they were kind of wheeled into a space, an open space. And so this one lady um, was kind of curled up really almost in a ball. And as soon as the music started and the singer, she's abs- I mean, she she was just absolutely almost vertical in the wheelchair. Mm. And she's just so attentive the whole time, clapping and laughing and and got all the jokes. And there's another lady who obviously is suffering from incredibly severe Alzheimer's um, or um, really just not with it. Um, um, so really quite delusional um, but boy was she having a good time mm. and she was that's right and that's, that's a snake and he's killed a snake and I mean we just had so much fun mm. so uh, to have the opportunity to go into that environment and, mm. to, uh, and to just spread a bit of joy is, is uh, that's, that's I think for me um, you know off the concert podium that's, that's what gives me most mm. Um, and and I like to think we change lives um, a little bit at a time. Yeah. Um, and that's the joy that I see in my work. So how can the community get involved? Obviously, buying tickets. Buying tickets is 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 great. Um, or donating to the Jackson Symphony. These mm-hmm. programs cost money. Um, to put the musicians, we want to pay the musicians, and we want to retain the musicians mm-hmm. as well. <clears throat> and that's in everybody's best interest. So. Um, just come along to concerts, um, check us out online, thejacksonsymphony.org, come to the concerts, you're right. And not just the Pops concerts, don't just come to the, to the um, Starlight Symphony and don't just come to the Christmas concert, come to the classical music concerts and that's where you'll have the best experience. Well, Peter, thank you so much for joining us and making Jackson a musical place. <laughs> thank you, Kevin, I appreciate it, thank you. Today's podcast was hosted by Kevin Adelsberger. Our intro music was performed by Aaron Harden. It was recorded live at The Co. To find out more about The Co., visit their website at www.atthecove.com. To find out more about R. Jackson Home and to read more about how amazing Jackson is, visit rjacksonhome.com.